0: Welcome to the Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, Range and Livestock Specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. Welcome back to the Art of Range podcast. I'm visiting today with Richard and Sharon Klein, owners of Rancho? Rancho? Rancho San Lorenzo. San Lorenzo of Los Alamos, uh, California in the Santa Inez Valley. And I had the pleasure of visiting with them in person, which is a rare treat. Uh, I was referred to them by the California Rangeland Trust, uh, which is one of the older agricultural land trusts. Uh, but I'm probably getting ahead of myself. Richard and Sharon, welcome. And thank you for welcoming me here today. Happy to. Yes. It's a beautiful spot. Of course, the sun's shining and the grass is green because you've had record precipitation, but uh, I suspect it'd be pretty even if it wasn't uh, green. Well, you, you've you been here, had this ranch for a while, uh, but it's not a place that had been passed down through either of your families. How did you end up here? Where did you both come from and how did you get interested in either, you know, owning land or running
1: cattle? We came from Los Angeles where we both had careers, Richard in public relations and me in um, higher education. And in Los Angeles, we had our uh, three horses, one for each of us and our daughter had a horse. And for years, they lived in Griffith Park, the poor things, in little teeny stalls. And we realized about 36 years ago that we could save a mortgage payment amount of money that it cost us to board the horses in Griffith Park if we bought a ranch. And we had a few mentors that had shown us their ranches, and we had the burning passion to buy a place of our own. And we came up here, saw Rancho San Lorenzo, the first day we looked at ranches. Mm. And it took us about four months to negotiate and put together the down payment. And we became the owners of this 1,100-acre ranch. And we, we were real property virgins. We had no sense, except that we thought it was a beautiful place Mm -hmm. and that we would be happy here. Um, We had no sense of how to make it an economic success.
2: But we learned reasonably quickly uh, a lot of the issues that we were facing. You know, we, as Sharon alluded to, um, Sharon was a native of California, of L.A., and had ridden since she was a child. And so horses were kind of our... Uh, our, our vehicle to get into the ranching business. Um And I was brought up in Massachusetts, strange as it may seem to end up on a ranch in San Inez Valley. Um, but, you know, I was one of the ones kids who loved everything cowboy, uh you know, used to be able to name every horse that belonged to any famous uh, movie star. Uh, the brain has forgotten most of them now, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but I always loved that concept of. Living kind of that cowboy life. So, and, and I rode some, somewhat as a kid and got serious 35, 38 years ago uh, about riding. But when we bought the ranch, we weren't cattle people at all. And we weren't really weren't ag people. I mean, we're like, I think, a lot of the new ranchers out there. People and you know, we were part timers here, by the way, for about 25 years, living in LA primarily, earning a living. And then coming up to the ranch to escape, and so we had a vision that, golly, you know, we thought this would be something we would enjoy. So, you know, the first thing we did is build uh, new new corrals and pastures and and fix up an old barn. And we were the beneficiaries of, uh, uh, and I hate to put it this way, but of uh, an old Spanish land grant family who had owned this property in most of this area, about 30,000 acres in total. That was part of the, the Mexican land grant. And um, the, one of the family members um, who was part of the, uh, uh, the De La Guerra and Arena, which are famous old uh, Spanish or, or Mexican families in, in, in uh, Santa Barbara area. Um, he was the last in a line of descendants um, to own this particular property, and in fact, he he passed away on this property. And what the family would do is, when they needed more money, they just sell a chunk of land, yeah. and then they travel or do whatever they needed to do to fix up the properties that they remained that were remaining. So he ended up on this last eleven hundred acres um, from the thirty thousand or so that was originally there, and it went into an estate and there were no direct descendants and we came along and this had become a derelict ranch i mean it was a mess we we couldn't drive to the back of the ranch because the roads weren't passable Mm -hmm. i mean it was it just desperately needed work Mm -hmm. so we were fortunate Mm -hmm. enough to be able to get in and sharon had the vision to be able to do what we've done and um ultimately um to make it, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a we think attractive, viable uh, yeah. operation. We we there was always some farming that went on here. Uh, there was always some cattle that were grazed on the land. Um, and and one of our neighbors at one time asked Sharon, "Well, why why did you buy that ranch?" And she said, um, "Well, we want a place to put our horses, and this." Wonderful character of a lady he said, wait a minute, you bought a cattle ranch because you wanted a <laughs> to place your to heart put heart heart a couple of horses? Yeah. And, and so, you know, we came into the cattle business um, and we, we run a relatively small herd, uh, but into the farming business sort of by the back door. Mm-hmm. And we learned, you know, that we loved it and a lot mm-hmm. to learn, but, you know, we've certainly... Think you know we've had good experience. Yeah,
0: I want to go back to the land grant. I've I've heard that term before, and I'm aware of some big ranches like in New Mexico that were uh, land grants. I don't know from Spain or Mexico. I think I've heard them called from Mexico land grants. But who was granting land, and to whom, and
1: why?
2: Mexican (coughs) government. Well, they own California. no, 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 not quite. Yeah,
1: the history of California, early California, parallels Mexico. So. First of all, it was Spain. Mm -hmm. And literally the fathers, Nuparocera and company, came up from, well, they came from Spain to Querétaro in Mexico and were trained, came north. And sadly, a lot of the missionary work was done to conscript peons here and send them back to central Mexico to work in the silver mines. Mm. So Spain, then Mexican independence, and that of course affected land ownership here. And then finally, American conquest. So in that period between American conquest and and the Mexican, uh, land grants were given to prominent leaders who had been Spanish, Mexican, and now were American. Mm -hmm. So this was part of Rancho Los Alamos. And it was a 64,000 acre um, land grant that was a parcel of of this valley. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is part of it. And when we talk about the De La Guerra's, he was, I think, uh, head of the Presidio in Santa Barbara. There's a, De La Guerra um, adobe. adobe down there. Hmm. We have the country house a mile down the road. So um, it, it's really a historic passing and evolution of basically Spanish, Mexican, um, finally American. Mm-hmm. And there were all the same people that passed through the governance of the area. In what years were those land grants happening? Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, They started in the late 1700s with the Spanish and the mission system. And we are between, let's see, um, a couple of missions. La Purísima actually uh, is in Lompoc. And they used these hills and ranches as grazing land for the mission system. And so La Purísima Lompoc was, was here. And then there's Mission San Inez. and there isn't one in the Centralia. mission system
2: was established basically uh, uh, a one-day horse ride between each of the missions when yeah. it was finished. And so, like we're kind of halfway between La Purisima and Mission San Inez. Yeah.
0: yeah, and
2: Santa means saint,
0: right? So those, like Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, all they're named after somebody. It yes,
1: was a, uh, Patron Saints, okay. except this was named, we found out, after Lorenzo, um, San Lorenzo. So it was St. Lawrence who gave the name to one of the De La Guerra uncles who remained in northwestern um, Spain. Hmm. And it was a family huh. name. So, um, And we felt strongly that we needed to keep the original name of the ranch because... I mean, it's bonded through history. And yeah. actually, Deco, the person we bought this from, had married into the De La Guerra family. And our neighbors were direct descendants of the De La Guerras. Hmm. So the roots go very, very deep.
2: And we, we love the fact <clears throat> that we found out that Eduardo Deco, who was the who's the person whose estate we bought the ranch from, ran a brand for his cattle on this ranch, the Bench K. Well, we're fine with a day. <laughs> and we said, yeah. "Wow!" So we re-registered yeah. the brand. I mean, it was available for the right rib, which we took yeah. was our first choice, but it was second choice, uh, and it was available. And so we have the same brand on this ranch now that's been here for almost a century. Wow! Well, two cents. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't know what ran the yeah. ranch before Eduardo.
1: That's true. Anyway.
2: Yeah. So, so the
1: history, we bought into the history, and it's part of the thrill of owning the place.
0: Yeah. And there's enough grass around. A couple of horses wouldn't do much to <laughs> exactly right. take
2: care of the grass. <laughs> well, there's a lot of grass this year. Right? That's right. You, you should have seen this about a year ago. Oh, well, I can imagine. It was a little a Spartan.
0: Yeah. Have you had trouble with fire? Trouble can mean lots of different things, but...
2: fortunately. We knock on wood; have had very little difficulty in this immediate area. But just over the hills in Lompoc, there've been some serious blazes, and down in Santa Barbara, and even to a lesser extent in San Inez. So we've been, you know, we 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 thank our lucky stars that you know it, it's been uh, less of a problem for us than a lot of folks in the area. And
1: yeah. it's an important reason for keeping mouths. Literally on the right. soil to keep the um, grass down and the, and the brush down. Mm-hmm. So that's important. And we move and we the cows around based upon food. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, do just basic
0: grazing management. Yeah,
1: grazing management mm-hmm. to, to make the most productive use you of it. You mentioned
0: everything. in the article that California Rangeland Trust <laughs> published about the place that it was a hidden gem. What did you mean by that? Was it that it wasn't otherwise? It wouldn't have been considered very desirable as a ranch. It is pretty yeah. steep. I like when I look at the map.
1: Yeah, part of it it's is topographically steep. challenging. Forty acres in the front, facing the river valley, are um, arable and irrigated. The mm-hmm. rest of it is really rangeland, mm-hmm. and um, we benefit from being able to ride over it and enjoy. A rather mountainous area, but mm-hmm. it, it certainly wouldn't be good for cultivation. But yeah, and when, you know, we have um, <clears throat> about
2: 90 acres and back that we dry farm. Um, and um, what, what Sharon kind of meant by a hidden gem was when we found this ranch, as I mentioned, it was a derelict, you know, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. And um, it, w- we uh, uh, kind of scraped our money together at the time to. to be able to afford the ranch. And it was when people, it, it was a, such a shape that when people looked at our serious ranchers, yeah. they said, Oh my God, you know, we have to put a fortune into that place to make it a right. incredible working ranch. Right. And people who were looking just for, you know, the, the weekend escape said, God, that's a mess. I mean, right. you know, I, I don't want to have to deal with all that. Yeah. And so <laughs> since we were at, at the time had relatively limited resources and uh, we were able to scrape our money together. And, you know, part of what, uh, uh, in fact, having the conservation easement, the economic benefit of having that, mm-hmm. has helped us to put money back into the ranch mm-hmm. to redo, you know, do lots of fences that have need to be, needed to be re- rebuilt. Um, to water. Build, you know, water, you know, a little critical issue. But put in a couple of wells that we really needed um, to be able to rehab uh, old barn. I mean, you know, it it it, it helped us yeah. to basically um, revitalize what was uh, had the potential to be a rather nice property.
0: Yeah. What? How did you initially hear about the California Rangeland Trust and what made you become interested in the conservation easement?
2: Yeah, a neighbor actually uh, told us about the, the CRT and told us about the conservation easement concept. And we said, well, golly, let's look into this. So initially, we were put in touch with one of the uh, state agencies, state of California agencies, and um, and they said, well, let us give you a proposal for conservation easement. And they explained a little bit about it to us. And we'd had some knowledge from having done a little bit of research. And um, we ended up getting a proposal that I swear had to have been three or four inches thick, you know, mm-hmm. on paper. And it was incredibly restrictive. And we said, well, God, if this is what our conservation easement is all about, I, you know, I don't oh, know yeah. if, yeah, we're, we're not really interested. Right. And so one of our, our friends who was a member of the, the, the California Cowman's Association said, well, a number of years ago, the Cattlemen's Association started this group called California Rangeland Trust. Why don't you talk to them? So um, we met with them and uh, uh, met with then uh, Nita Vale, who was the executive director, Andy Mills, who's now chairman of the board. And they said, well, let us give you a proposal. And it was you know, all of about 12 or 14 pages. And it basically, when we looked at it, said, just be a good steward of your land and you, you know, the restrictions, as you know, was uh, the limited development, in fact, no development for us and the 500 acres that we put into the conservation easement. Um, but it was really what we would kind of thought about continuing doing from the beginning. But it allowed us to continue to farm. It allowed us to continue to, to run cattle. It allowed us to continue to ride our horses, you know, over, over the ranch and do what needed to be done to be good stewards of the land. And we thought, wow, you know, this is this is doable. And of course, as we've talked about, there's some economic benefit to it. Right.
1: Well, one of the things I was most worried about because we have a vernal pond. And in that vernal pond, it's it's a wonderful habitat for the tiger, California tiger salamander, C T S. Describe
0: what a vernal pond is, because I'm familiar right. with that because I'm in the range science world, but you know, vernal just means spring. What is a vernal pool?
1: Well, a vernal pond, and it's a very typical landscape in California, maybe in the West, but I know in California, it's a place where water collects with no stream that infills it. Yeah. All right. That means nothing going going out. Yeah. Nothing goes in or out Mm -hmm. except through evaporation. Right. Okay. That means that it goes dry. Periodically, based upon rainfall, and we have had many, many years of a dry, well we call it the lake <laughs> and kind of grimace because That's it's in a pond right. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a very unique um, uh, type of, of um, environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The benefit for the tiger salamander is that it does go dry and they can live without water for many years because they live underground in squirrel holes
0: that was my next question is why do the salamanders go in the pool
1: <clears> well they don't breed yeah Yeah.
2: but they're there and but they survive they are
1: there and, wow. and they carry through the drought that's what the way they're um, acclimated
2: and it is it is an endangered species by the I believe feds but state Yeah, at least well. it was and, and yeah not sure if it still is um, but you know the, the, the lake quote unquote as we you know Reference it um, is is Vernal Pool that on the area maps has long been known as Laguna Seca, hmm. and dry it's been Seca water. dry uh, now almost as often it is, has been dry. Laguna. Dry. Um, so that's just a, a feature of our particular ranch, mm-hmm. and um, uh, was was actually one of the major motivators between for the Rangeland Trust to do a conservation easement with us. Because it met uh, a need that the state had put out to preserve this endangered species.
1: And um, because it goes dry, uh, things like red-legged frogs, for example, eat the newts. It clears out uh, predators and allows, Mm. when the rain returns, the salamanders to breed. And we had stocked the pond before the easement, yeah, and I was terribly worried <laughs> that um, we would have a big mosquito problem without um, critters in there, fish.
2: Yeah, stocked but, meaning fish. Yeah, we right. put fish yeah. in, the, yeah. in the yeah. lake.
1: And uh, it was a little difficult to see it, the fish die when the when the lake <laughs> went dry, but the birds benefited, <laughs> and we did not restock it. Because of, of the salamander That was one of the
2: requirements and, yeah, a, uh, a major yeah. requirement yeah, they, huh. We and could not restock it because They would eat the, on the yeah, salamander tail. eggs and,
1: and in fact We've never had a mosquito problem <laughs> So somehow uh, The environment Balanced out and my yeah. worry About that was for naught
2: yeah, Before yeah. We, we started This <laughs> podcast interview um, We were talking a little bit about you know, benefits and challenges of conservation easement. Um, one of, as I mentioned, you know, ours says we cannot develop that area. We have to maintain all the the, the, the proper uh, rangeland management techniques, um, which is fine. We had no problem with that. Well, when our neighbors said, uh, uh-oh, you're doing a conservation easement? What's that going to mean to me? Is the state and other authorities going to come in and start knocking on our door and say, we want to talk to you and we... We don't want you to do this X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And we, we explained to them, and it's absolutely turned out to be true, and that not only mm-hmm. would they not be knocking on their door because of this, this helps protect them from um, the, the the urgency of preserving land and you know necessity. Trying to
0: prevent take. Under the
2: exactly. Of the and, and so in some ways, it has hmm. prevented take and prevented you know, the the, the the state and others are coming in and saying, okay, we want to talk to you, neighbor. And it's worked out beautifully. It's been absolutely the case. Um, it has taken pressure off some of our other neighbors. And there are some others in the area who've done conservation easements, either with the Rangeland Trust or uh, Land Trust or Santa Barbara, or there are a couple of other agencies in, that are working in our area to do the easements. Um, but, you know, for us, the Rangeland Trust has been terrific. They do an annual monitoring. They did an initial monitoring to make sure they had a baseline, knew what was here. Um, we've got a full report that lists all the flora and fauna and, you know, mm-hmm. what this property is all about. Every year they come and make sure we're honoring our agreement with them. Mm-hmm. And that's about as intrusive as it is. It's pretty It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You run cattle here. I'm a little
0: more familiar with uh, running livestock in places that are dominated by perennial grasses, uh, you know, where they... Mm-hmm. Come back from the same plant crown every year, and tend to have a little bit longer active growth period in the springtime. Uh, right now, it's really green, but you know, if it doesn't keep raining, it won't be this green for very long. How does that work out with keeping you keep mother cows?
2: Yeah, we're cow cows. <clears throat> so you've got cows year round. One of the challenges is managing the feed yeah. uh, situation. You know, we have had years where we spent an awful lot of money on hay. Mm-hmm. We wanted to keep the cows and we said, Oh, next year it'll rain. So, you know, okay, we'll spend some money now. We won't have to sell and buy again. There was a few years ago, we sold everything uh, yeah. on the cattle, you know, yeah. and we brought in some stockers and, and the grass, uh, you know, <laughs> grass was just minimal. I mean, hardly anything. Mm-hmm. So we could bring in a few stockers and it worked just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this past year, before the rains came, we were in a drought. Yeah. So we sold about a third of our herd off and kept the, the balance. And now we look at it and say, uh, oh, it's probably going to be time to buy again. And so you just have to do the, uh, accept the, the, what They're it'll be. Bloody. You know, yeah. we, we, we usually end up, you know, sell low and buy high, yeah. but you know, that's life. I mean, if we want to, yeah. we want to continue having cattle. And of course, the advantage to us, is, as Sharon had alluded to, was range management.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: having cattle, you know, when you ask a question about about uh, fire, well, you know, we, you know, have our cattle help protect us yeah. against the fire danger. Yeah. So it's just a matter of knowing, you know, how many head we can keep to feed, hopefully without hay, although we give them hay in breeding season, and you know, mm-hmm. we supplement, but it's minimal versus what we had to do mm-hmm. last year, feeding truck and trailer load at a time, just to keep them going for several months, yeah. um, And but,
1: and we've done a few other things, like put water sources at the top of the mountains to,
2: yeah, to you know, them
1: encourage them to the sure cows to, to, to take care of the whole area and graze mm-hmm. it all, and uh, you know those kind of pretty simple things, moving them around. Um, mm-hmm. We sometimes have several um, areas we can dry farm and then feed them off. So, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of common sense management to make what we do have go as far as possible.
2: And, and you know, from an owner's standpoint, we, again, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, um, you know, the economics, uh, doing conservation easement, you, you, depending how you structure it, but most often you'll get a certain amount of cash mm-hmm. to do the conservation. Right. In
0: compensation, compensation for extinguishing right. the development rights. Exactly. Right. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, okay, you won't develop it. and You get some cash now. Right. Well, you know, for some families, that's saving them from, you know, losing the land because they don't have the, the, the money to pay for uh, inheritance taxes yeah. and all the rest. Um, so, and that's wonderful. In, in our situation, we got some cash. wasn't as much as a lot of people need as fortunately, you know, we still had jobs and we're doing other things to supplement our our, our our ranch life. But we did also get a rather credible amount of uh, tax uh, tax write-off, mm-hmm. uh, or actually it was tax credit. And so that monies were saving us from paying taxes uh, <laughs> at a higher level. Mm-hmm. And we took basically that and it allowed us to, to do things like putting some water tanks at the tops of hills. Infrastructure. Investment infrastructure, investment. absolutely. We really worked on reinvesting on the ranch and building an infrastructure and, and gave us the ability to put it back into, you know, uh, what we think is reasonably attractive shape. Mm-hmm. And so it was a tremendous financial benefit um, that we put back into the land. And, you know, win-win, you know, we weren't the... Fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth generation family inheriting the ranch, and now had to pay all those inheritance taxes. We came in and bought the ranch, and you know, didn't quite know what we were getting into. But you know, we 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 worked our way through it, and the conservation mm-hmm. even gave us some 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 real economic benefit that we're able to put back uh, by and large in, into our uh, into our ranch.
0: Yeah, uh, you, you alluded earlier about some vegetation improvements that you made and i think in the the crt article you said there were places you couldn't even ride through was mm-hmm. that chaparral or some other kind of brush yeah that you
2: we have a lot as you brought, could see if we we if we were in back of the ranch a lot of chaparral yeah, yeah. and we did do uh uh as they call it now prescribed burn, was then called a right. uh, controlled Control bird, controlled bird. Um, and but we were able to do that, what, 25, 30 years ago up yeah. at now, mm-hmm. and it's become increasingly challenging to get permits to do it. Right. Now, to take care of chaparral. Theoretically, they're, they're loosening those regs and taking what we think is a very logical approach to range management by doing prescribed burns. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean we've had to clear a lot of chaparral. We've had to put in, uh. We had to put in trails to make it so you could get to where the cattle would be off in the, you know, the back of the ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's all part of the, you know, we think the proper management of of uh, uh, being a good steward on your property. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, maybe one more unrelated question. Uh Sharon, you were the California maid of cotton back in 1964. <laughs> what is a maid of cotton? Is this like Miss
1: America for agriculture? <laughs> back, that was in the days of Polly and Esther.
2: Polly Esther.
1: Esther was yeah. just, yeah. you know, rearing its... Right. DuPont's marketing. Yeah. <laughs> over artificial little head. And I was a fashion design student. So I went into the apparel industry and I went... I became California made of cotton as a college senior, and I was just about to graduate. And, of course, because of, of horses and all of, all of our connection to the country, I loved, I loved the country. So I was able to go um, in Central California. We were based in Fresno. I don't even know that. And I would travel throughout the state with two chaperones who were cotton wives. And they were the sponsors of this thing. And we promoted uh, cotton as a wonderful fiber to make or to use in fashion.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, so we were in the business of fashion shows. Um, It was was just so much fun. And I found Hmm. out because one of the things I had to learn all about Cotton, it was fascinating, and I can remember getting up at five in the morning to do the farm reports. And my chaperone said, "Oh, the other maids hated this." Well, it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I got to go out and talk about cotton, um, visit the farms, visit the cotton gins. It just, it just was wonderful. I had yeah. so much fun doing that. That's fascinating. I didn't know that history. I didn't know there was much cotton here. Oh, you don't, is there still cotton? Oh, here? yes. Okay. Yes. Um, in those days, I think it was it was the second largest crop, agricultural crop in wow. California. It was hugely important, and mm-hmm. primarily in the San Joaquin Valley,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the, the Central Valley and mm-hmm. Imperial County. We went all over the state. Uh, not the north so much, because it mm-hmm. has to be in, in the warmer part. But, oh, I loved being made of cotton. That's <laughs> neat. Yeah,
0: it feels like those natural fibers are making a comeback. Uh, they are. They I are. Think I'm so pleased to, to see that. <laughs> results. Yeah, I mean, wool is an amazing fiber, and cotton is as well. And In many ways, they're superior to any of the
1: synthetics that we've come up with in the meantime. Well, and blends, are, blends have become more important but uh, back, I mean this is in the 60s mm-hmm. and polyester was really threatening the cotton market so yeah. it's balanced out more now
0: Well I think we'll wrap up there I really thank you for your time today It was uh, this is a, maybe an increasingly rare landscape and it was great fun to be with person. Glad you came
2: The views, thoughts and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.